Did you know that every major diaper company either financially or vocally supports abortion? If that appalls you and you're looking to support a baby brand that aligns with your pro-life, pro-family views, then every life is your solution. Every life firmly believes that regardless of where someone is from, what they look like, or whether they were planned or unplanned, every baby is a miracle from God worthy of love, protection, and celebration. Every Life offers high-performing, supremely soft, premium diapers and wipes delivered right to your doorstep. Their diapers are crafted without fragrances, dyes, lotions, latex, parabens, or phthalates. And you can feel good knowing that every purchase with Every Life contributes to changing lives through their support of pro-life organizations and pregnancy resource centers. Every Life is not just changing diapers, they're changing lives. Visit everylife.com to learn more. That's everylife.com. And don't forget to use promo code Duffy10 for an exclusive 10% discount on your first order today. Hey, everyone. Welcome to From the Kitchen Table. I'm Sean Duffy, along with my co-host for the podcast, my partner in uh, life and my wife, Rachel Campos Duffy. Yes, I am your partner in life forever. So <laughs> I like it. I'm going to take that to the bank. Okay, so I'm so happy to be here because I am a big fan of Rebel News. You know, I'm a subscriber. You are. Um, I I love them even before all the stuff that happened in Canada with the truck with drivers. The truckers, yeah. Uh, but I really started to pay even more attention after that, and now Rebel News has done something that. I mean, I feel like they're just going after my heart. (laughs) They sent a team of people over to the WEF to see what was going on. Let's, with no further ado, bring in Ezra Levant. He is the host of the Ezra Levant Show, and I I believe you're the founder of Rebel News, correct? I am, uh, and we're turning eight years old next month, and we're growing all the time. We're based in Canada, but we have viewers all around the world because we talk about themes that are interesting to a lot of people. For example, the lockdowns, the yeah. vaccine mm-hmm. mandates, and in this case, this shadowy group of billionaires and oligarchs called the World Economic Forum. So we were there for a week doing citizen journalism, and it seemed to really click. Well, Ezra, what I love is when we've seen across the globe, and you've seen it especially in Canada, but we see it here in the U.S., uh, you have these tyrannical governments that I think are, are hell-bent on taking away our freedoms and our liberties, not respecting the citizenry. Um, and again, I, I followed you guys when you started reporting on the truckers in Canada, which got, God bless them for pushing back um, on on your crazy prime minister. But also, you know, you mentioned going over to the World Economic Forum. Is there anybody that's doing your kind of journalism where you have all these powerful people that have glommed into one small location and going, hey, this is, this is like shooting fish in a barrel. We can start talking to all these people who we never have access to. Let's go ask them some very simple questions. Is it only Rebel News or any, anyone else out there doing what you're doing? There were a few other citizen journalists there, but it's very difficult to do. Here's why. The whole town of Davos is pretty much bought up by the World Economic Forum Mm. one week a year. So you can't get a hotel room in that town. So you have to stay a town or two over. So just the logistics of getting there and back is expensive. It's far away. Um, They make it as hard as possible. There's an inner, I'll call it a green zone, where um, you have to be accredited to get into a heavily armed compound. We were not accredited because we're you know, we're dissidents. So we, it was like we were peasants outside the castle drawbridge. 
But every once in a while, a VVIP, a very, very important person, leaves the castle, crosses the drawbridge, and is in the company of peasants like us. And yeah. you have to spot them because, you know, they're not walking around with a sign saying, I'm the CEO of Pfizer or I'm the former British prime minister. You have to know what they look like or have eagle eyes and read their name tags. There's a real pecking order at the World Economic Forum. Everyone has a different colored badge indicating your hierarchy status. Um, now, by the way, not everyone walks. There are tons of black tinted window SUVs mm. shuttling back and forth around the town, but some people like to walk. And the other day I was standing just outside the perimeter and one of my colleagues said, who's that? He looks famous. I looked and that's Albert Bourla, the CEO of Pfizer, who left the green zone, who came outside the drawbridge. And we only You'll had never do seconds. that again, by the way, after oh, this, I think you're never right. do that again. <laughs> And um, so I had to very quickly, like, I mean, in five or 10 seconds, I had to think, okay, what questions would I ask the CEO of Pfizer? Because I don't know how long I'm going to have with them. I might have 30 seconds. I might, in, it turned out we had almost three minutes and I just jumped in there with my microphone. And I should say this, the police in Switzerland have a very light touch. They're, they're pretty hands off. I think they're respectful of civil liberty. So the police would not stop you from scrumming a very important person. Ezra, and can we so, just play that clip so yeah, we can then, sure. let's just play that and then we'll come back around and, and talk about it. Sure. Here it is. Mr. Borla, can I ask you, when did you know that the vaccines didn't stop transmission? How long did you know that without saying it publicly? Thank you very much. I'm sorry. To that question. I mean, we, we now know that the vaccines didn't stop transmission, but why did you keep it secret? You said it was 100% effective, then 90%, then 80%, then 70%. But we now know that the vaccines do not trans stop transmission. Why did you keep that secret? Have a nice day. I won't have a nice day until I know the answer. Why did you keep it a secret that your vaccine did not stop transmission? Is it time to apologize to the world, sir, to give refunds back to the countries that... Poured all their money into your vaccine that doesn't work, your ineffective vaccine? Yeah, you have a little bit of rain. Are you not ashamed of what you've done in the last couple of years? Do you have any apologies to the public, sir? I can tell you what, Ezra, um, those are the questions that I want to know, right? They're, and they're very simple. This isn't complicated stuff. You're like, hey, when did you know that it wasn't effective? Because you kept telling everyone they had to get the vaccine to protect other people uh, who would be in danger of dying from COVID. And people lost their jobs, all kinds of things happened. But you're right, Sean, These this man doesn't come on Fox News. He doesn't go on Rebel News. He's not going to answer you even in that moment. Which, by the way, my heart goes out to you. You sound so cold. <laughs> I hate being cold. Um, I'm understanding the logistics just watching that, that you are sitting out there in the cold waiting to get access. But CNN doesn't have to do that. They have that man in the studio and they never ask the questions you've asked. Yeah, a few quick things. So we, I was trying to think, well, what questions are like, I, it was a lot of things all at once, running yeah. to keep up with them, trying to, you know, sound presentable while sort of running around his people who were slightly blocking him. We asked him other good questions, I think, like about product liability, about in the past, they paid huge fines for deceptive marketing. We asked about myocarditis and young men having heart yes. attacks. And my very last question, and that was my colleague, Abi Yamini from Australia, who chimed mm -hmm. in too. So the two of us peppered him with 29 questions 
before he managed to uh, duck into a hotel that we didn't follow him in. And he never answered one, right? He never answered one question. And my last question to him was, are you not answering us because you're just not used to real questions that aren't prescripted? Because as to your point, Rachel, Davos and the World Economic Forum is actually swarming with journalists. And I mean hundreds. CNN is there. CNBC, the New York Times, Wall Street Journal. Um, there are a great, and then there's a lot of social media companies, Facebook, mm-hmm. etc. And in fact, Albert Bourla, the CEO of Pfizer, just came from an interview moments earlier. So it's not like there are no journalists, and it's not like Albert Bourla doesn't give interviews. He just gives interviews to safe regime journalists, and by that I mean someone who's on his team. All those media outlets that I just described have a big pavilion there at the World Economic Forum. They actually have to pay to have that kind of access, hundreds of thousands or even millions of dollars. So there's no way they're going to rock the boat by asking prickly questions of a VVIP. So it's almost as if the other media are going to download the next narrative to get their talking points. So Albert Bourla probably did 10 interviews at Davos and they were all softballs from really stenographers. And Avi and I were peppering him with questions. And when he didn't answer, I thought, you know, I'm not going to stop. I'm just going to keep asking anyways. And (laughs) that video that you just showed has been seen more than 20 million times on Twitter alone. And I was thinking, well, why? Because it's not interesting because he doesn't actually say a thing. But that's sort of the point is that people, we put 29 questions to him. And I think people saw, yeah, I'd like to know the answer to that. Or that's a pretty fair question. Or, hey, I've never heard him be asked that before. So in a way, it's the realization by millions of people around the world that Albert Bourla and Pfizer have never actually been held to account before. I wish my questions to him were boring and old hat in that I wish that a hundred journalists before me asked those questions. But so many journalists are co-opted by Pfizer. I hate to say it. And, and Ezra, when you look at Pfizer um, and, and, and the research they did or didn't do in the vaccine, the amount of money they've made and the fact that our governments forced people to take it to maintain their livelihood, per Rachel's point. And still are. <laughs> you think that this would be some very simple questions that you should answer. When did you know it didn't work? And you should have yeah. an answer for that. Can I tell you, I was in Congress, Ezra, for nine years, and I'm used to what you did to him, right? The Democrats would do that to me all the time. And so you develop techniques where you always have to have your phone on you. So if someone's going to come and approach you, you get on the phone and pretend like you're talking to your <laughs> wife at least. But because he didn't have any tools or techniques to deal with you is evidence that no one ever does this to him. He's never approached like you approached him, which is frankly sad. He should be approached every single day about his vaccine, how safe it is, and whether it should be mandated on the, uh, on the American people or on the world. Well, and the point about transmission, I asked that question about three yeah. different ways. Why is that important? Because the whole premise of forcing someone to take a vaccine, of a vaccine mandate, a vaccine passport, the whole premise is you might not care about yourself. You might uh, choose to live a risky lifestyle yourself by not taking the jab, but you have to take it to protect other people. That's the whole thing behind a vaccine mandate, because if it was just whether or not you choose it for yourself, I think there's a libertarian instinct out there that people would say, all right, you choose your own poison. But the whole rationale for forcing people to get the jab 
was you're protecting your neighbor. But the fact that the vaccine did not stop transmissibility, as in your ability to pass on the virus to someone else, that flattens the entire legal and moral moral rationale for mandates. That's why it was such an important question, if I may. By the way, I think Albert Bourla probably could have given me some answers that would have been good enough. But he just, I think he thought, there's no way I'm going to lower myself to grant this peasant um, a, a moment of my time. And, and that haughtiness, that, like, he's a public person who isn't just the head of, of a big company. There's such a merger between big government and big pharma mm-hmm. that he is effectively a public person. He has called for and lobbied for and is being rewarded by an effective merger with government. Mm-hmm. And yet he doesn't want the accountability, the scrutiny, the transparency that comes with government. And that's what bugs me about Davos. It's a kind of shadow government in that you have politicians and lobbyists and oligarchs and some celebrities, and they're all meeting and hammering out ideas Behind closed doors, no accountability, no transparency, no lobbyist registry. You don't know what's going on. There's no congressional record. There's no chance to question them. There's no opposition party. There's no chance to vote them out. So one of my questions to Albert Bourla, the CEO of Pfizer, was, who did you just have meetings with? Right. Why is it a secret who you met here? Did you meet with heads of state? Did you meet with uh, Brian Kemp, the governor of uh, Georgia, who was there? Did you meet with uh, Tony Blair? Who did you meet with? I would like to know. I can't know because the World Economic Forum, while it has the trappings of government, does not have the checks and balances of government. That's why I'm opposed to it. I'm I'm not opposed on principle to rich people or to billionaires or to companies. I'm not against them per se. But when they seek to change our lives with this, you know, it really is a merger of big government and big media and and. If little old me and my citizen journalists are the only people squawking back at them, that's sort of pitiful. I mean, I, listen, yeah. I was glad to do it. But my God, where are the other regime yeah. media? Do they not have any instinct of skepticism and speaking truth to power just for the sheer fun of it? Don't right. they feel <laughs> the desire to pepper these guys with questions? Where, yeah. where is that? I mean, I'm sure that you I mean, look, remember how they used to scrum Donald Trump? when he was president. And by the way, he would stand there for sometimes a full hour and he would call on Jim Acosta first. He loved the most rascally, mischievous, prickly questions. He he got a kick out of it. He thought it was like a test of his skills, which it was, I think. Why don't, why doesn't Albert Bourla or Klaus Schwab or any of these people who would seek to be our masters, why don't they stand there for an hour and exhaust the questioners? And the the reason that's that's when... The reason, Ezra, is people don't people don't like their ideas. Um, That's the bottom line. Regular, normal, common sense people do not like the ideas coming out of the WEF. And I want to talk about the WEF, who they are. Uh, the kinds of connections they have, as you said, with governments, but also with like the WHO, how they all coordinate, where this all came from. I want to get to that. Uh, And I want to talk about Klaus Schwab as well, this really weirdo guy that started it. And who is he and what's his end game here? Before we do that, let's go to Greta Thunberg because she's another one that you spotted. And maybe because I'm a mom, um, I'm really fascinated by what happened. I expect that from the Pfizer guy. But what I thought you caught, again, a young woman who is not accustomed 
to getting um, tough questions. She's accustomed to adulation. She's a tool of this of this climate um, fanaticism and whatever the end goals of that are as well. But she was getting help from the media. You were giving her tough questions. And it was fascinating to watch the media cover for her. I've never seen anything like this. And some people would say, Ezra, she's a little girl and you shouldn't ask her questions. But as you so rightly pointed out, her ideas um, and, and the things she says actually are impacting global policy, and she she's going to put herself in there. So w- w- but, should we just yeah? Let's, let's, let's play the clip, and then we'll get you to respond. You're willing to break the law. Will you renounce violence? Will you renounce violence, Greta? Or do you support Antifa? You've worn an Antifa shirt before. Are you in favor of Antifa? Greta, how did you get here today? What was your climate footprint in traveling here? <laughs> What's your plan while you're here for that? Um, vibe. Vibe. <laughs> do, do we have a Fridays for Future Day more tomorrow here? <laughs> Greta, how do you feel about discussing climate change with the uh, delegates here when they nearly all when nearly all of them take private jets? Do you think at least the fact these delegates take private jets is a bad thing against, you know, what you believe in? All of this could be done via Zoom. So surely, surely you should be encouraging all the delegates here, especially the likes of U.S. Special Envoy John Kerry for climate, uh, Special Envoy for climate change. Surely you should be saying to these people, you should be doing this via Zoom with a much smaller carbon footprint, surely? <laughs> Greta, avoid my questions if climate change is a con. <laughs> Ezra, I, I love one of the questions in there, too, that was asked was... Uh, on the jets? Uh, uh, yeah, on, yeah uh, on the jets. was. And she said, I took some trains, but she never, ever said, I didn't take a private jet. I suspect she did, or else she would have just said, I didn't, and, I didn't take a private jet. And I think the question was, will you condemn them? Will you condemn those that took private jets? And she wouldn't answer that either. And here's like, the world's going to end, Ezra. It's going to end in, I don't know if AOC says 12 years. But you would think that if the world was going to end because of climate change, those who fly private jets, the great Greta, Greta would condemn them. But oh, no, not at all. Yeah. You know, there's so many things about this video that are interesting. Okay. The first is, if you look at her, you would think she's 12 or 13. But she's actually a 20-year-old woman. One of her special powers is that she looks like a child. Yes. I think she may be developmentally um, different. Uh, yeah, I don't the, the know. laughing but, Ezra was very weird. Yeah, I mean, so you have to be careful when you're a, a guy asking questions mm-hmm. of someone who looks like a young girl. You have to make sure you don't come across yeah. as rude or a bully or pushy. You don't want to be rough. And we were very careful. There were three rebels there. and um, But we were... The first thing is she had a security guard who she dispatched. She said, oh, I'll be fine. And at the end of we walked, actually walked and talked for 20 minutes. And we put almost 100 questions to her. Her number one response was to laugh. Her number two response was to give absurd answers that were clearly not true. Like I asked her, we talked about China and Russia and OPEC. I said, have you ever protested against Russia or OPEC? Mm. She wouldn't answer me plain. I said, how about China, the biggest energy user? 
We talked about private jets a bit because over a thousand private jets came to Davos. And yet there she is speaking to these jet setters. Mm -hmm. So um, I said, have you ever been on a private jet even once? And by the way, there might be a good answer for why you are. But she wouldn't answer anything. And after a while, as you point out, the other media there, there were a few mainstream journalists there. They started heckling us. They, They called me stupid and I might be stupid. But what are you doing? joining forces with the newsmaker to push back at other media. Uh, I asked several questions of Greta that other journalists answered for her. They could see, like one of my colleagues said, who are your advisors? That's a good question. I'd like to know. The other media answered for her. Um, they did that several times. I asked her about, she posed for an arrest in Germany. She was right. protesting some coal mine and she posed several times with cops. It was really weird, like a staged arrest. I asked her about that. I guess the other media didn't think she was answering well, so they answered for her. At one point, there was a French TV station that tried to physically pull me out of the out of the scrum. There, it was it was really strange. I'll give her credit; she at least didn't run away like the CEO mm-hmm. of Pfizer did. But I won't give her much more credit than that. Let's be. Can- one of my colleagues, Callum Smiles, said, "How do you know so much about the climate if you dropped out of school?" Because remember, she became famous with her school strike. That's what she called it. She said, we're going on strike. We're not going to school to protest the climate. So her whole shtick was, I'm a young woman and I might know a lot, a lot, but you stole my dreams. How dare you? And when you press her on anything, there's nothing there. She's just a PR icon. I think she has this shtick of, I'm a, I'm a young prophet. I'm a child prophet condemning the world. If you don't change your ways, you'll all be turned, you know, God will punish you. Like there really is a cultishness to it. And she never went I back to sort school, of disapp- Ezra? She never went back Pardon to me? school? You know that? I, I don't know if she managed to finish things up through correspondence, but her whole shtick was school strike. That was how it started. Every week she would have a school strike and she would try and convince other kids to go on strike in school. So my colleague said, well, how do you know so much about climate? If, like, where, where? I asked her at one point, I said, are you a child actor or are you an expert? And I think the answer is she switches depending. When she's at the UN, she gives a, thun, a you know, fire and brimstone, how dare you speech, and we're supposed to take her seriously. But when we peppered her with questions, she said, oh, I'm just a young girl. What are you asking me all these questions for? I'm not a big person. Yeah. And and I think she tries to have it both ways. I was very underwhelmed with her, but I'll give her credit. At least she didn't run away like this the Pfizer CEO. We'll have more of this conversation after this. Did you know that every major diaper company either financially or vocally supports abortion? If that appalls you and you're looking to support a baby brand that aligns with your pro-life, pro-family views, then every life is your solution. Every life firmly believes that regardless of where someone is from, what they look like, or whether they were planned or unplanned. Every baby is a miracle from God, worthy of love, protection, and celebration. Every Life offers high-performing, supremely soft, premium diapers and wipes delivered right to your doorstep. Their diapers are crafted without fragrances, dyes, lotions, latex, parabens, or phthalates. And you can feel good knowing that every purchase with Every Life contributes to changing lives through their support of pro-life organizations and pregnancy resource centers. Every Life is not just changing diapers, they're changing lives. Visit everylife.com to learn more. That's everylife.com, 
And don't forget to use promo code Duffy10 for an exclusive 10% discount on your first order today. From the feedback you've gotten from that interview, and I'm, again, fascinated by her reaction, fascinated that she stayed with you so long, but then these non-answers, you know, um, sort of, as you said, full of herself on one level and then acting like a little lamb on the other. I mean, it's very manipulative. Um, But did you get the reaction you got, not just from conservative media, but from in general? I mean, this thing has gone viral. Are people accusing you of being a bully? Do people think you shouldn't have, have confronted her because she's a child? Or are people like, good, she, 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 she's in the public eye. She's affecting policy. She deserves to be questioned. Well, first of all, we put up almost the entire thing really I watched unedited. It, yeah. So people could see really the whole thing from the very start where she waves off her security to the very end where she says, okay, guys, I'm going to go to my hotel room. Please don't follow us. And we don't. And she says, thank you. I enjoyed that or something at the end. So, you know, and no one touched her. No one crowded her. No one pushed her. No one said anything threatening or aggressive. So I I think that on on the face of it, she willingly engaged in a back and forth, even though the people she was talking to were bigger than her. That's how it is. She's five foot nothing. Um, I've probably read a thousand comments because this thing has gone super viral. Mm -hmm. And I think I've seen maybe five people say, oh, you were too bullying but but i don't believe it because we never said anything that was rude or mean it's just that they didn't like her being asked questions because like albert bourla the ceo of pfizer she simply has never been asked a tough question i say again there were hundreds of journalists there she just literally came out of the cnbc studios so she's used and and last point you could see there were some other mainstream media who were walking with us the ones who were calling me an idiot the ones who were pushing me etc when they had their chance to ask her questions, the question, like there was one journalist who interrupted us and said, all right, Greta, I've got a question for you from a real journalist. Okay, what's your real question, Mr. Real Journalist? Is your trip here so far a success? I swear to God, that was his question. <laughs> that was his Pulitzer Prize winning accountability journalism, investigative journalism. Hey, how's it going? That's all he could think of. And then another uh, mainstream media, racing media type said, are you going to have a protest while you're here? That's you got Greta Thunberg. You can ask her anything in the world, and your question is: So, when's your next event? That that's what you got. That's here in all the United States, they asked the pres- our president, who's like involved in all kinds of scandals and deals with China, and is potentially compromised. And they ask him what flavor ice cream he's having. That's right. Yeah. Ezra, I think well, what, that's you, what, what, you do, like what you do really well, though, in the whole in the whole Rebel team is, and even we see in this conversation we're having is. You're very calm. You have a very relaxing voice <laughs> and the questions are good, but it's not a, it's, you know, the whole team is not aggressive, but just pointed in their questions and, and nice and polite. Now, you might not think the question is polite, but it's, it's, it's a fair question that you ask, um, which is what I like. I mean, not, n- nice people uh, go further. And again, then you don't put the focus on yourself. You put the focus on on the interview and the responses. But let's let's pivot to the to the WEF. And I, I want to get your take. And I guess I'll, maybe I'll give you mine first. I've never been to Davos. Um, I was in Congress. Uh, I was never invited. Uh, you might wonder why. Uh, but it, it's I'm concerned because to to you alluded to this earlier, the fact that you have all of these elites converge on this one town. I'm not I'm not opposed to rich people. I'm not opposed to billionaires. I'm not opposed to private jets. Um, I'm not opposed to SUVs. Uh, I like all those things. You have one. <laughs> I do have not a private a not SUV, a private not a private jet, Ezra. <laughs> um, but but what what concerns me is that they're plotting 
to your point, to change my life without my consent. They're plotting to take away my freedom, my liberty. They want to control so many aspects. They want me to not eat meat, but eat bugs. They want me to ride my bike while they fly in airplanes. They want to take away uh, gas stoves. Um, they, they, just, the, the, they don't it, want you to have any. Sean, we, we have nine kids, Ezra. I don't know if you know that. Uh, between us, they don't we're like eco, that either. We're eco-terrorists. And it's, it's one thing, to your point, if you wanted to have a debate about it, if you wanted to put these issues to, to the people uh, in their individual countries and debate it and then vote on it, I could live with that. But the fact that they do it under the cover of darkness, they go there, they, they craft these ideas, and then they go home to scheme to implement these ideas. And oftentimes, they're not honest about what they want to do. Um, they're not frank and forthright to go, this is the plan. We have a great reset. We have a new vision for you. Let's talk about what it looks like, and then let's vote on it. That's not it. It's about it's about. Uh, making us afraid, whether it's of the virus or climate change, and then trying to push these policies on us. But the true intent of the policy, I think, again, is to consolidate power with them and take power and freedom away from us. That's my take on it. But I'd love to hear, what's your take on that? You've been there several years. What's happening? Why should we be concerned about it? And give us a little background on where, because they're very patient. This started back in 1971. Well, and that's the thing. Klaus Schwab, the boss of the World Economic Forum, he, he, it's like his. It, this is not a government agency. This is not an NGO uh, that that you can just join and and take over. It, it's his. I'd have to check the corporate structure, but he's been the boss of it since the beginning. The way you get in as a director, like Larry Fink, the CEO of um, BlackRock. BlackRock, Al Gore is on the board. The Deputy Prime Minister of Canada is on the board of trustees. Nestle, Siemens, Carlyle. So these are, if they were in Russia or Ukraine, we would call them oligarchs. Right. Yes. You know, extremely rich people who have political ambitions. Bill Gates, this is his favorite place. Uh, George Soros, this is his favorite place. He didn't go this year, but his son Alex went. So when you have this collection of people, and Klaus Schwab, I mean, I think we should listen to him when he talks. He did write a book called The Great Reset, yes. which basically said we should take advantage of this pandemic to reset they, these are the folks who came up with the phrase build back better that Justin Trudeau used in Canada that uh, they used in the UK and that the Joe US. Biden used in America. It's, it's their glow that Jacinda Ardern used in New Zealand. Klaus Schwab boasts about penetrating the cabinets. That's his language of the world. And he lists off all the prime ministers, presidents and cabinet ministers around the world that he counts as his people. And how are they his people? Well, they go to his meetings, they pick up his talking points, they perpetrate his agenda. And again, who made Larry Fink a legislator, the head of BlackRock? Who made him a cabinet minister? But he is a de facto legislator and cabinet minister who seeks to inject his policy into government. In fact, they have a concept of the World Economic Forum. If I had to summarize what they are, it's in two words, global citizenship. It sounds sort of nice or it sounds generic global citizenship. That's that's very broad minded of you. No, it isn't because it destroys national citizenship. When you're an American, when you're a Canadian, you know what your rights are. You know what your powers are. You know how to kick out your president. You know what your constitution reserves to you. I know what it means to be a Canadian citizen. You know what it means to be an American citizen, a global citizen. Well, who's the boss? Who rules them? Well, a global cabal. 
Klaus Schwab calls it stakeholder democracy, stakeholder oh. capitalism. Ooh, that is who dangerous. Stakeholders? Well, it's right. anyone who pays Klaus Schwab to be in his club. It's anyone who he anoints. How do you get out of this global citizenship? How do you replace Klaus Schwab? How do you – can you be a refugee from it? Can you go to a different jurisdiction? They want to replace the nation state and national oh. citizenship and the American constitution – with their goals. It's basically a super duper chamber of commerce that proposes Marxist cultural Marxism, ESG ideas. And the the weird thing is that they promote a lot of leftist ideas, but they're ultra capitalist, capitalist trillionaires. Oh, and by the way, they love China. Xi Jinping, they had him give the keynote speech a few years ago. If you go to the World Economic Forum's website, China, 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 China is the future. China is the new hyperpower. I, I let me close on this, and I, I do have to go so soon. Capitalism, by the way, that's what. Well, I, and that, and so often, Klaus Schwab says that's the model, that's the template. Who's the most powerful man in the world? I, I, everyone would naturally say, well, the American president. Well, sure, if you control the American military by the commander in chief, I suppose you're the most powerful person. But the thing about the American president is that he'll only last four or eight years, and he has checks and balances on his power. There's the Senate, there's the media, etc. Well, is it the Secretary General of the United Nations? Well, not really, because again, he has a term and he'll move on. And really, all he knows is other heads of state. But Klaus Schwab, for 50 years, has run a kind of UN a kind of ultra chamber of commerce, a meeting place of political leaders, of NGO bosses like George Soros for 50 years. And it's at the point now where people pay millions of dollars for access, and you've got to go there to bend the knee to get in on the in club. I think that, George, that Klaus Schwab probably is the most influential man in the world. I think he so could too. probably pick up the phone I and talk so to too. anyone he wants yeah. anytime he wants. So, uh, uh, two things Maybe that Joe me. Biden is, could rival that, but I don't even know about that. Uh, and this group seeks to rule you. Now, they wouldn't say it that way. They would say global citizenship. They would say public-private partnership. They would say stakeholder capitalism. They have all these euphemisms. But make no mistake about it. They want to tell you how to live. They identify up-and-coming young people who they think are going to be um, major leaders in their country or in companies. They run them through a program, and then they sort of nurture them and, and network them so they do get to become. And, and some of those leaders, I, isn't uh, your prime minister, Justin Trudeau, one of those people? Trudeau is a big-time WEFer. His deputy prime minister in Canada is actually on the board of the WEF. I think half our cabinet is World Economic Forum. New Zealand's Jacinda Ardern was a young leader. Rishi Sunak, the prime minister of the UK, I believe he's a World Economic Forum young leader also. By the way, if you just go to the World Economic Forum website and poke around, you will see all these things out in, in public. And that's one of the reasons we go to Davos, is there's so many conspiracy theories about this place. And I tell my team, don't engage in any conspiracy theories. Just don't. Because yeah. the truth that you will find is so yeah. absurd and so insane. Clear as day. Should not, do, not, do not go beyond what you can see, hear, read, feel, touch, because you Enough. will be blown away by how crazy it is. There's no need to engage in speculation. Just look at what they're saying. For example, their famous video, you will own nothing and you will be happy. You will be happy. Or 
how many videos do they make promoting eating bugs or synthetic meat or depopulation or vaccine mandates or China is the way or America's era is over? You don't have to speculate. They say it every day. Ezra, you mentioned stakeholder capitalism, and and, I'm, and a lot of people may not understand what that is. Um, but but when you tell us that this idea comes from Klaus Schwab, and, and it's a very leftist idea, um, I look in America, and the biggest corporations, the biggest banks, have all now bought into this idea of stakeholder capitalism, which, by the way, you just go back eight years, ten years. I mean, the, to think that a corporation is going to run not to maximize returns for in, for their investors, but instead be concerned about, you know, everyone who might touch their company. Well, by the way, you got to be concerned about everyone touch, the, who, touch, who, who your company touches because that's good business. And if you are concerned about that, you're going to have a, you're going to maximize return for investors, but they kind of forget the investor and they'll look toward these, uh, to everyone else um, who the company touches. And, and again, I'm, I'm, I'm convoluted. Yeah. But the point that Everyone in the States has bought into that idea. And BlackRock, you mentioned Larry Fink, the fact that he's controlling trillions of dollars and then investing in companies and then making them buy into this idea that he has on the way the world should work and the way companies should work. And those ideas, to your point, came from Klaus Schwab. Um, I don't dispute that. Klaus Schwab probably is the most powerful um, person in the world who we know nothing about. Who doesn't sit down? I'll tell you one fact about him, a bizarre fact. In the Second World War, his father actually moved to Germany to run a factory under the Nazis. Mm. It's it's crazy. And he really is like a Bond villain. He looks like a Bond villain. Yes, sounds like He speaks like in it. a German accent. And I, I'm not anti-German. I'm just saying, holy moly, mm. he's a central casting villain. Stakeholder capitalism is a fa- funny way of saying, we're going to tell you who else you must listen to other than customers and shareholders and, and the law. We're going to tell you, you have to listen to woke ideologies. You have to believe in uh, green ideologies. You have to believe in transgender ideologies. When they say stakeholder capitalism or stakeholder government, what they're really saying is we don't like the current model of of elections where you have local citizens. We don't like the current model where companies pay attention to shareholders and have to maximize return. We believe in a future where we get to inject our political ideas into these existing structures. We're going to take it over, politicize and radicalize it. That's what BlackRock does. BlackRock is such an insidious force because they have $10 trillion under management, and they can invest in a company and say, guess what? You let us in the company. Now we want you to uh, engage in these cultural Marxist practices. Mm. Or we're going to divest. So they're, they're a kind and of divestor is, is 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 unacceptable for many of these companies. If you get yeah, BlackRock, I mean, State Street, Vanguard, if if and they all kind of view the world the same way, if they divest, your company is going to suffer. So you almost are forced into dealing with these ideas that the Larry Finks of the world have. And and Larry Fink is the best and worst example because I mean he's a very good money manager, obviously, and I have no beef with the guy managing money, but. Who voted for him to be a legislator, a policymaker, whether it's foreign policy, domestic policy, you know, big pharma policy? Who died and made him king? Why does he run for office? And the answer is he 
he doesn't have to. He can buy his way in. Right. He's a major sponsor of Davos. And he can use conservatives' money to then invest in companies and make them do these woke things that conservatives would never agree to. So it's not just yeah. his money and woke money. It's conservative money that he manages as well. He's leveraged everyone's cash to implement these ideas. Ezra, I want to talk to you about Rebel News um, because, it, again, we, we, we came across you. You said you're eight years old. We came across you um, during the, 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 um, the whole trucker protest in Canada. Tell us about Rebel News. You know, what's the theory? What's the mission behind Rebel News? And, you, and I know you're based out of Canada, but kind of what kind of global reach do you have? What are you trying to accomplish? Sure. Well, in Canada, there used to be a conservative-leaning cable news network called the Sun News Network. Our critics called us Fox News North, which I took as an enormous compliment. And I had a nightly show, I guess like, like Tucker. Uh, I mean, every every night at 8 p.m. I had a show for, for an hour. And um, we were doing great, but we were killed by Canada's version of the FCC. Uh, it, they just made it impossible for us to get carriage by the cable companies. They, it was very reg- It was regulated to death. And and our investor lost fifty million dollars, and it was it was a very sad day when we shut down. So when we all went to collect our severance, I said to my little team, "Come to my house. Let's see if we can't salvage something here on the internet. Let's try and do a YouTube channel." And in 2015, there weren't a lot of YouTube-based news channels. There was the Young Turks, and and there were a few. And I thought, well, let's give it a shot and let's call ourselves rebel news. We're going to rebel against the government regulation. We're going to be on the Internet so they can't kill us like a cable TV company. We're going to rebel against the technology, the expensive cameras, the satellite link ups. We're just going to go on Skype and cell phones. And most importantly, we're going to rebel against the ideology, the groupthink of what I call the media party. The media party, because the media party is much more powerful than your Democratic Party. Mm-hmm. Our liberal party. They're the yeah, same thing. Much, the Democrat yeah. party and the media party are the same. <laughs> exactly. So we started so small and everyone sort of laughed and said, isn't that cute? And then we just grew and grew and grew and grew. And we were almost killed when YouTube demonetized conservative sites around the world in the wake of Donald Trump's uh, election in 2016. But we have a crowdfunding model. So we're completely demonetized. We don't. We, we, we've had, I don't know, 2 billion views or whatever across our platforms. It's probably a lot more now. We don't get any money from that, but we do crowdfunds. For example, when we went to Davos, we brought seven people with us. The total cost was over 20 grand. Well, how do we make that work if we don't get any money from ads? Well, we set up a little website called wefreports.com. And at the end of our videos, we said, hey, if you like this, chip in a few bucks. And so in a way, we've, we're... And well, people give us for people. Users. People will give to yeah. like. Of course, I'll give you five bucks for this great yeah. content. And our average gift is just over fifty bucks. So mm. you have to get a lot of people chipping in fifty bucks. But that's a good way to do it too. You're not beholden to any one right. person. There's no one person who gives us so much that he could, for example, call me up and say, "Fire that guy" or "Do this story." I mean, I would I would listen to our our donors, but but because it's so diffuse. We really can follow our own conscience and listen to what our viewers want. And by the way, when you're a grassroots crowdfunded organization, you hear pretty quickly if you're off track. So it makes you very attentive mm-hmm. to your viewers. We had a really key moment in Canada during the trucker convoy a year ago 
because the rest of the media in Canada is very compromised by the government. 99% of the media in Canada take enormous grants from the federal government. So obviously, they're really echoing the official narrative. We're one of the very few that doesn't take government money. So we sort of we're with the people. Our motto is telling the other side of the story, which used to be what every journalist sought to do. Of course, that really applies in, in Davos too. So it's been a lot of fun. We only have about 50 people in the company, but I feel like we've got a pretty big footprint because we try and run really economically. And we love going to international events. You know, the fact that I'm Canadian and my colleague Avi Yamini is from Australia and my other colleague Callum is from the UK. But still, what we talked about was of great interest to many Americans. So yes. I feel like some of the themes we talk about are universal. Wait right there. We're going to have more of that conversation next. They want to turn us all into global citizens. So we're all yeah. connected by what they're trying to do. And these are all these uh, global ideas that they want every single country to inculcate. And, you know, I, I remember just going down to our school and interviewing the principal at a local public school. I thought I might send my kids there. And they said, well, we're really working on turning these kids into global citizens. And I was like, OK, yeah, thanks for that. We're not sending them here. They didn't go there. Um, but. This is a, you know, a small town in America, and that's what's happening, and these ideas are permeating. I can't tell you how grateful I am that you went and did what you did. I wish we had more time, so I wanted to talk about what weirdos they are. I mean, the number of prostitutes that are there, um, just how strange they are, the, the, the personal lives of Al Gore and Klaus Schwab. Um, these are really creepy people. Why the heck would we want anything to do with them um, and, their, and their loony, crazy ideas? I'll let you speak yeah, well, just briefly I mean, on that because I just really wanted to get yeah. to that. <laughs> well, when you're that rich and powerful, people um, bend to your will in a way that they wouldn't if you were a mere mortal. Like Bill Gates visited Jeffrey Epstein yes. so many times. Even his own wife got sick of it and divorced him over it. If you ask Melinda Gates, and she's been asked several times, she said he just wouldn't stop going to meet Jeffrey Epstein. That's how mad he was. But when you've got $100 billion, people around you typically say yes, sir, no, sir, whatever you say, sir, other than his wife, I guess. So when you're that rich and powerful, and you're not used to criticism, like the thing about the president of the United States is he gets blasted every day by the opposition and by the media. So that, that does temper someone's arrogance, I suppose. But whoever holds Bill Gates to account, Albert Bourla to account, Al Gore, to, Al Gore doesn't debate. These people don't debate. Larry Fink does not expose himself to like that's what was so riveting that I think about our scrum with Albert Bourla is that's never happened before. We didn't get any answers. It's just no one's allowed to make contact with them before. So you have some very straight a billion dollars, let alone a hundred billion dollars, can make someone very unusual because it 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 fuels, it finances whatever quirkiness they have. And some of these people become obsessive about population. Like Bill Gates is obsessed with depopulation. Yes. Just Google it. Yes. And I don't know. I, I think that the World Economic Forum is a dangerous place, and I was glad we could go and report. And I'm really glad you guys gave me so much time today. Thank you very much for that and, interview. And thanks for asking about, about the Rebel News also. 
And Ezra, we're, we're glad that you took the time to join us. And I would just uh, a, a note to our um, to our listeners uh, and viewers with the Republican Congress, Ezra, uh, some of the people who don't get asked these questions very often, uh, there might be some rebel members of Congress who take a, a page out of rebel news and ask some very simple, very respectful questions that I think a lot of these folks are going to have a hard time answering. But the American people and the world should see these folks answer the questions. I want to thank you for joining us. Thanks for doing all the great work at Rebel News. Thanks for bringing us videos that we never get to see from anybody else. If liberty's alive in Canada, then <laughs> we're all, we, we, we could be okay if it's still alive in Canada. Uh, Ezra Levant, we'll, thank we'll you for joining us. Have a great day. Keep up the great work at Rebel News. Yeah, so proud of you. Thanks. You, you too. Thank you. you. Bye bye. If you like our podcast, uh, you can rate, review, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Um, and uh, you can also get this if uh, I don't know where you get it at, at, at Apple or at uh, Amazon, but also at FoxNewsPodcast.com. Yeah, great show. Great guest. Um, I could talk about, the, you know me, I could talk about the, the WEF all day long. We'll have to do more on this because I think, and we've done some stuff on this in the past, um, but it is, it's, it's, it's the topic of the moment. I do hope that co- the Congress takes on some of these policies that are, you know, infecting our own um, country. You know, I, I, I look at um, Ezra and uh, again, rarely do I agree with everybody on everything, but again, simple questions in a respectful way that I'm sure he, again, he said he's got millions of views because he's asking things that I think people want answers to that no one will ask. And what I find fascinating is people in the media, they're paid. They make a living. They get subscribers and viewership by asking questions or they used to anyway. 20 million views on the Pfizer interview on Twitter. Why doesn't NBC want to have those, I mean, because listen, the guy from Pfizer does not come to Fox News. He's not going to no. take that interview, but he is inside of the studios of NBC and CNN. And those people don't care about the money. They are already bought and paid for by these. Uh, well, I think what they like is the fact that if you want him to come back or other CEOs like him to come into your studio, which they thrive on at places like CNBC, um, you can't ask tough questions. You, there's, they, they understand those third rails that they can't touch. And so they stay within a tight lane asking questions that are very easy for these CEOs to answer um, because every other CEO is watching uh, CNBC. The sad, and- part, the sad part is I suspect that next year when when the WEF meets in Davos, they're going to reformulate the way they re- reconfigure the way their members um interact inside the town, because I do believe that Ezra and his team uh, took them off guard. They're not going to let this happen again. And, 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 and Ezra will have to find clever new ways. New ways. And hopefully, hopefully what he's done is inspire more citizen journalists to make that effort to go up there, to ask the tough questions and, and to really, um, cause I think my last thought is this, and this is what really struck me about what he really kind of put it together for me. When you're in a democratic republic, yeah, there are leaders and congressmen and president, but ultimately you're the boss, right? Right. You you elect them. You're the boss. These people want to be your boss and they don't want any questions. They don't want any input. They, they, they are elites who think they are smarter and more clever and they're going to consolidate their power and you are not the boss. So if you want to be the boss, um, in your life um, and with regards to your your government and your society, um, you well, got you got to get rid of the WEF or at least uh, dissipate their power. It's the consent of the government. 
right? It's, it's that very idea that they, they actually don't like. But you, you missed my. I was, I was trying to. I was trying to bash CNBC. I don't know if you picked up on that, no. um, because I now have You're a now show at, at 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 Fox Business. I have a show called The Bottom Line. Uh, it's on at six p.m. Eastern with Dagan McDowell um, and our first on the business channel. On the business channel. So uh, make sure you check us out. And again, we're talking about real issues, kitchen table issues that we talk about here. Yeah. We talk about um, on our show, but also uh, how that correlates with business and culture. It's not in market hours, right? It's after it's after markets close. So we have a little more freedom to talk about all the issues that happened uh, during the day. So if you haven't tuned in, please do. It's a great show. Well, I watched the first episode, Sean, and I was super impressed. I thought it was great. I'm going to tell you, I'm going to vote that John Rich's jingle may become a per- So they brought in John Rich, who is, by the way, Maybe we should be banking at uh, the, what is it? Lone Star Bank. And, no, no, no. It? It's Old, Gl- Old, Old Glory. Glory. Old Glory Bank in Oklahoma. He and and a few other conservatives, prominent conservatives, Larry Elder and Ben Carson, uh, they bought a bank and decided we're going to have a bank where Ezra would appreciate this. No one can be canceled. What happened to the truckers can never happen to you at this bank. They will never debank you or stop you from accessing your funds because of whatever your idea is. It's a, it's a free speech, free thought bank, I guess. I, I didn't want to give any pushback on that idea. And I, and I love I how like you, I, was I love it. I love it. But here's the deal. You, you're, you're insured by the FDIC and the FDIC. I was on financial services, did oversight. They are incredibly woke. And if they put pressure on you to debank someone, they'll give you the choice. You can be a bank or a, or you can not be a bank. Oh, you mean if they don't? If, if you don't if you do what, don't they, do what say, they say, if well, they say that, that's the next thing Congress needs to do, deal with is the FDIC because um, they, that, oh, they do that. The, the power that they have as regulators, it, it, it's, it's truly as so well. I love I love their energy coming for the bank. I hope he's right. But what I saw in Congress is eh, when the FDIC you tells you to jump, you say too high. That you should have with him. I think you should bring him and Larry Elder and maybe someone from financial services. This is my, I'm not trying to produce your show, Sean, but that's a conversation I would love to hear because I just thought you could just say, I'm going to do this and it would, it would happen. I thought you want to talk about John Rich because uh, on New Year's Eve, John Rich gave Rachel a pair of cowboy boots that she absolutely loves. If you you compliment me on my cowboy boots, I'll go, oh, thank you. John Rich gave them to me. (laughs) But listen, the jingle he did for you guys was fantastic. I I definitely think it should be incorporated. If I get, you have to do your your bottom line, you know, when you start the show, but maybe somewhere in the middle, it could like every episode you close out a segment with John Rich's uh, jingle. How did it go? I can't. It's bottom line. It's bottom line. Fox, Fox business Fox bottom, line. bottom line. So we go from <laughs> the country and it's simple. <laughs> this is, this is the kitchen table. We go from the WEF to jingles, to cowboy boots and banks. It never stops. Okay. So again, thank you all for joining us. Um, we appreciate you sitting down at our kitchen table, which is actually right now our little library. A lot of kids' books back there. So yeah, we got to move back to the kitchen table, but it was we do. complicated because it was too close to when we sent the kids off to school. That's right. So we had to we had to we had to set we had to set this up as the kids were going off to school, so they didn't bump it and and spill yeah. milk and cereal on it. Yeah. All right. Good call. All right. Have a great day. Bye, everybody. Bye-bye. Listen ad-free with a Fox News Podcast Plus subscription on Apple Podcasts. And Amazon Prime members can listen to the show ad-free on the Amazon Music app.
Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts.